Welcome to VPG's Virtual Water Cooler Chat Podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence. So we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. Today, we are going to chat with Grace Wang. Grace is an attorney at Allen and Overy LLP's New York office. Grace relies on her PhD in electrical engineering from MIT and patent prosecution background to advise her clients in inter partes review proceedings and requests for ex parte re-examinations. She also focuses her practice on litigation in the International Trade Commission and District Court, as well as patent validity, infringement, freedom to operate, and due diligence analyses. Grace has experience with a wide range of technologies, including medical devices, signal processing, data analytics, integrated circuits, semiconductor devices, disease diagnostics, network biology, genetic risk assessment, communication systems and networks, and cloud computing. Grace's doctoral research focused on the neural coding of complex auditory signals. Lauren Grace, thank you so much for being available for us on this virtual water cooler chat. So how are you today? I'm good. Good. It's finally getting warmer here in New York. It's the high today is like 79. So I'm excited about that. Well, I got to know you probably about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And so I've been very impressed. And we actually, you were kind enough to be a moderator for one of our DEI panel. So that went super well. And I hope that was fun for you. One thing that I want to ask you is, what is the essence of grace? You know, I think of myself as the as like really into problem solving, um, like from even from like the little things like solving a Rubik's Cube or doing Sudoku puzzles or little logic games. Like I've always been drawn to just like solving little things. And, you know, I apply that obviously to to my work now, like a lot of what lawyers do and litigators is, you know, we solve problems problems or we we find we identify arguments um that's really kind of what I've found that I really enjoy doing both in my personal time and in my work time um the essence of me I mean I'm double-sided I have two young kids at home um ages four and six a boy and a girl and obviously you know they take up a lot of my time and they really right now are Uh, they take up a lot of my essence as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and also how you chose to become a patent attorney uh, and also a woman in STEM? Yeah. So I did my undergrad in electrical engineering at University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. I grew up like in in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, So Urbana-Champaign was in, you know, in-state school tuition. It was easy to get to. My brother had gone there for the same degree. So, you know, I sort of just went into that. And I always really liked physics. I really liked physics in in high school. So I thought electrical engineering was was a good um, kind of degree to, to have. And then kind of coming out of undergrad, I realized, or nearing the end of undergrad, I realized like what it had given me was a good toolkit. Um, but for me personally, I felt not yet equipped to know how to use that toolkit. Um, and I didn't feel done with engineering. So that's what led me to the PhD. 
the PhD gave me like so much time <laughs> and so much space uh, to just identify an unsolved problem and like use that toolkit uh, to solve a problem in a way that had never been done before. The first like four years of the PhD is, you know, setting up your experiments, debugging your source code, pulling your hair out, trying to like get your experiment to work and collect data and analyze it. But it wasn't really until the end, as I was nearing my last year of the PhD, that you know I finally had gotten some some results. I could finally interpret it. I could finally talk about it, and I found that that it was that like communication that I really liked doing the communication of technical ideas and talking about it to different audiences, presenting it, writing about it, you know, go, like attending conferences, presenting on it. And that's what I really got excited about. And so that's, you know, when I kind of decided that patent law would be a natural next step. And I think a lot of people think it's a little bit odd to have like done a PhD and then like, you know, then move to patent law and they're like, oh, what a shame. Like you could be doing like the real engineering. And for me, it's not about, it's not about always like making use of everything that you have learned, because certainly there was knowledge that I had learned from the PhD that didn't transfer over to being a patent lawyer. Um, but for me, there was still a lot of skills that I had learned and developed and refined during the PhD that were transferable to being a patent lawyer, the, the, all those communication skills. Um, and so to me, it's like in making that transition, it was about knowing what you care about and what you want to prioritize at, for the next stage. Um, and it you know, worked out well <laughs> for me. I think that's interesting because a lot of patent attorneys actually have advanced degree. So having PhD and going into like patent law, I think what it is really interesting is that the process that you acquire during uh, your PhD program about learning and a lot of those skills are transferable. So that's many times is what makes like their skills as a patent attorney because you know, whenever you take a new case, you have very short time to basically yeah. acquire the new technology, learning and presenting. If you're in district court, you have to like do your Markman. If you're in PTAB, you will really have to kind of hunt it down and get your word count down to 14,000 words mm -hmm. <laughs> and word swiping it. I think those yeah. are really, really important skills. I mean, I've actually supported and patent attorneys for a long time. So it wasn't really strange to me how many people have advanced degree yeah. because the speed of learning mm. on a case-by-case -case basis is so fast. Right. And the amount of knowledge, technical knowledge that need to be condensed down to like layman or layperson term is yeah. really, really challenging. So I think, yeah. I mean, I think that I kudos to you, you know, picking <laughs> and kind of like it the best of both worlds. I think so. I, I like it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you like it because it's important to like our jobs. Now, do you have any 
challenging stories as a woman in STEM. Because, you know, a lot of time, at least stereotypically, engineering is much more male-dominated. And even in patent law, it's still a lot more male-dominated. Mm-hmm. And I think like the PTAP bar, they had a um, study that did like a couple of years ago. It's like yeah. 12% of women in PTAP. Yeah. Um, and so from your perspective, do you have any like challenges that you have faced or that you want to share? So this just makes me think of the issue of of preconceptions. And, you know, when, when people meet you, you know, they, of course, will have some implicit bias and sometimes ex- it's explicit. <laughs> so it just makes me think of, you know, the first day of grad school, you know, I show up very fresh faced. It's my first day in the lab. Um, I, you know, just moved from Illinois to, to MIT to start grad, to start my PhD. And I was so excited. And there's um, a very senior professor who basically who founded my lab and was very well known in the field and he comes up to me and he introduces himself um and the first question he asks me is am I the firstborn child in my family and I said no I'm last I'm the third born and then he went on to tell me his strong belief that you know it's really firstborn sons that are the most successful the most driven the most ambitious and it was like, okay. Um, yeah, that was, yeah, I, I was a little, I didn't really know how to take it, you know, it was my first day, like, I sort of just like, didn't, didn't think about it. But I do, I do reflect on that sometimes. And I, I do think people will always have preconceptions about you, no matter, no matter who you are, where you come from, or what you look like. Um, and with the senior professor, I sort of like, faced it and sort of laughed it off and and dismissed it. But there's going to be other contexts where, you know, there's going to be preconceptions about what it means to be Asian American, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a litigator, what what it means to be in big law versus not big law. Um, And in the end, you know, what I've really learned over the years is like, you just have to be yourself. So like, I can only be me. You have to be authentic and true to who you are and for people who look like us like big law very much used to be a boys club but now it's really evolved and there's things like this a lot of what actually what you've been doing um it's like you know getting women together and um there's chips and there's all these organizations all these um committees that you know make sure that going forward, it's not going to be a boys club. And there's going to, there is a place for different people that have different personalities and different priorities. Um, and there's a place for everyone to feel included in this space. I could not agree with you more. Uh, I think one of the things that has been really interesting and challenging is that I wasn't born in the States. I was uh, born in Hong Kong. I didn't come here until like probably about at the age of 11. So I do have my accent. So even though I was like doing really well academically and professionally, you know, I was such a people pleaser. So of course I was outstanding. Everybody was like, oh, sure. And that was before I became like um, the CEO of my own company. Mm-hmm. But once I started, there's so many different roles. And as an Asian American, especially not born in the state, there's so many conflicting roles that I have to kind of 
play out. Yeah. And on top of it, I'm not attorney. So it's like when I go in as a consultant, it's super challenging because how do I go into a space that is traditionally very hierarchical mm-hmm. and yeah. then mostly male dominated? Now that there are more spaces for women to speak up, I'm really, really thrilled to be able to be part of this change agent and created a virtual platform for women to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I have like talk to so many people and yesterday I was talking to Jennifer Wu oh yeah yeah you know her yeah 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 I had like a really great discussion with her yesterday and we were just like laughing and (laughs) and it's just so wonderful of the things that she was doing for Asian American on civic uh like on her pro bono uh, yeah I've seen that on LinkedIn yeah yeah so I like I was so touched about that, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I went to look at the um, the entire testimony for the um, yeah. basically on the committee to prepare for the to get the federal response on anti Asian American um, racism on the hate crimes and stuff like that." So we talked a little bit about that during our um, chat yesterday. If I didn't create my own company, in what yeah. world would I actually go out and have the time to create something that is so unique and allow people to just come forward and share a little bit about themselves that makes them effective of who they are? Like, you know, yeah. when we go in, maybe during the interview, we'll get, get asked about questions about our life and we'll talk about our friends. But like, there are so many things that make up the part of who we are that is successful at work. And without hearing the stories and the struggle that people actually face. So for example, Jennifer said that she does not script when she goes do oral argument. Mm. And she didn't even script when she did like the federal response. Because I had no notes, it's all in the brain. And then we believe in that. I was like, well, that is so the not traditional what people said. You want to have your deposition online, right? Yeah. So that was like super interesting. And I thought that I have learned so much. And it was such a joyful experience to be able to talk to you guys. And also have you got, had people like give some thoughts to like, hey, people that are actually doing all these wonderful cases, they're like really cool behind the scenes. Yeah. And they have like real struggles and they have all these this things. And we have issues that we really care about. You know, also as Asian Americans. And so I told Jennifer that we're going to do like a snippet on her video because the common period, there's a one month period from Mm -hmm. the federal response, um, you know, from that testimony. And so we're going to, I'm going to have my team to do a snippet of that. And then we're going to give like the LinkedIn and also the email addresses. So we as Asian Americans can speak up to solicit call to action, actually. You know, if someone else from our community is actually doing that, I think we have a civic duty to collaborate and then get some impact. So, yeah, that's that. How do you feel about being a PTAP practitioner? And where would you like to see women practitioners in patent or PTAP space in the future? And... Do you have any recommendation on how to actually accomplish that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like not too it's many a big questions. Question. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, obviously the PTAB is like a wonderful sweet spot for, you know, technical minds. And it's like so nice to have a place that has technically trained judges that can really dig deep and, you know, understand the technical positions and really ask the questions that you want to be asked um, as as an oral advocate. Um, You know, you mentioned the 12% number. I I heard that at the PTAB conferences the last couple of years, and it's, it's truly atrocious. And I think that's, that's the number for or that's the percentage of like attorney appearances, but the number is even less, I think, for attorneys who who do the oral argument. Um, And like, we just need to get to a point where we can not only reach parity, but like, because it's, it's not just about the numbers, but it's about like the culture of being a feeling included and empowering women and feeling like we have a sense of belonging in the community. Um, We need to create that environment where we can empower women to take leadership positions and to do the oral arguments. And in thinking about like building my team here and, uh, you know, being on the team here, like that's something that I'm mindful about, not just for, you know, our female associates, but also for our male associates to make sure that this is something that people talk about. And it's, it's a conversation piece in terms of recommendations. I mean, you sort of just have to find that balance, right. And you don't even like have a choice for, for those who are parents or those who are thinking about being parents, you don't have a choice to, to find that balance. You are forced to either find a, the balance and make it work or just not, or it's just not going to work. Um, so for me, obviously I like my career. I like what I do and I, um, I like doing things like this, but I also have a family, you know, I love them too. I want to spend time with them. And I've seen so many people just sort of doubt, like have just create a lot of self-doubt And I think it's good to talk about it, but I think too often people just sort of the self-doubt takes them out of the game. Um, And what I would like to do and what I try to do is for, you know, internally my team here, you know, both people senior to me and people junior to me, I'm quite honestly open about, you know, what I enjoy doing. And there are things that I enjoy doing both at work. So I talk about that. And I also, there's things that I enjoy doing outside of work. And so I'll talk about that. And I I hope that that triggers or, you know, prompts people to feel open that they can also share things that they enjoy. But obviously not only do we, should we share what joys we have, but what challenges we have and what solutions, you know, we have found that work for us. And, you know, when, when you think about big law, you don't always think about the human aspect of it or the longevity of it or the the long-term nature of it. And, you know, burnout happens. It happens at every firm. But if we want to try to avoid that, I think promoting well-being and sharing our joys, sharing our challenges, sharing our solutions is going to be the way to keep people, retain people and make them happy. And, you know, hopefully develop people. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Because of the pressure and the stress that is actually inherent in the legal industry, I think it happens in finance and also medical industry too. You know, those are the ones that has the highest alcoholic and also suicide rates. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's 
when you are, you know, represented companies that has like multi-million dollars at stake in the litigation, how can you not be stressed? Yeah. Like, I mean, if you, you say that, oh, I'm just going to be like really like zen about it. I don't know that that is really possible. Mm-hmm. So I think that is really important to sort of like share that, which leads me to my next question is that I'm going to give this a little bit more specific audience since we're both Asian American. For you, now that you are um, sort of uh, a senior associate and at uh, Big Law, do you have any lessons learned that or advice that you want to share with your fellow Asian Americans attorneys or people in the professional service industry so that they could gain some insights from your experience? Maybe give us a couple points. Yeah. For me, when I kind of think back on the last like 20 years since I graduated college, <laughs> it's crazy to think it's been that long. Um, it's like, you look like you're what? I still look oh, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm well aware. <laughs> I'm like, I have a baby face. <laughs> What has helped me has been just being open to change, um, especially in in our field. But I'm sure this applies to to all different fields. Like it's important to have that demeanor to be open and welcome change because change is always happening. Um, in my experience in in law specifically, you know, I've been through a few major shakeups at different places. In my experience, when those changes happened, they were very sudden, they were very volatile, and they can feel very emotional. But that's that's something that lawyers are good at sort of thinking about, right? Like, what are the risks? What are the rewards? What are my options? You know, like weighing the pros and cons. And so for, for me, when I when I pivoted from PhD to patent law, it was a big change, but I sort of knew what I valued and what I wanted to continue doing. And then I sort of, at some point in my career, I I did pivot from patent prosecution to patent litigation. And so that was, you know, another sort of conscious decision that, that I made um, to, to sort of change. And certainly now, like looking towards the future, AI is going to like revolutionize the way we practice, right? Like we're not going to be, like, it's just going to be able to write briefs for us maybe or I mean that's that's a few years out but eventually it's it's going to come and it's not going to render us obsolete by any means but it is going to change how we work and so we need to understand the risks and rewards with that so yeah I think just just what I would say is just being being open to that change that sounds great. Thank you so much. It's such a joyful experience to see your face. I remember when we were at the Thought Leadership uh, Conference and you were like, happy, and then we just hugged each other just like COVID. <laughs> Ashley, you have, you have been such a gem and I'm so glad to have met you over the last year. Um, like not only is, do you, are you like such a consummate professional in terms of just like getting filings done and, and all of that, but in terms of what you've been doing with c- connecting people and giving people the opportunity to raise their profiles on the market, that's been, that's been phenomenal. So well, I, I really commend you for, for what you've been doing in this space. Thank you so much. And I appreciate uh, having met practitioners like you. 
and I call you a friend. We will chat again, but until then, we will move on to our billable. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you.